I'm Diane Orman. I'm a GP with a special interest in mental health and also a consultant to Black Dog Institute. This podcast is about the non-pharmacological management of chronic pain and it's based on a webinar we did a little while ago on the same subject. It's part of a suite of educational resources that you can access via the Black Dog website. These resources focus on management of mental health problems in primary care, with particular reference to the use of reliable online programs to help improve treatment outcomes. Chronic pain is a major cause of distress for sufferers and for those who try to help them manage it. Let's start by defining what we mean by chronic pain. We mean pain that persists for three months or more after tissue healing and Horrifyingly, one in five Australians experience chronic pain. It occurs due to changes in the nervous system rather than tissue damage and can lead to serious disability if it's not properly managed. The factors that influence the persistence of pain after traumatic injury are many and varied and include many things other than the severity of the injury. They include the adequacy of pain relief in the first week. So that's the adequacy of acute pain management, which is something that we're not going to be talking about today. They include also the psychological impact of the trauma and injury, as well as pre-injury psychological health and little things like gender, educational level, and whether there's any compensation issue involved. Let's talk about opiates just for a minute, because it's really outside the domain of this webinar to talk about drugs. We're talking about non-pharmacological management of pain. So chronic pain is a much more complex issue than acute pain. Opioid dependence is a growing problem in our community. In a brief poll of webinar attendees, we discovered that 11% had a lot of patients with opioid dependence in their practices, and not a single attendee had no opioid dependent patients. I asked Dr. Simon Holliday, a rural GP and chair of the RACGP specific interest group in addiction medicine, whether it was overstating the problem to suggest that opiate addiction was becoming a national emergency, as President Trump recently announced in the USA. We certainly see a lot of opiate-related harms, and people can be on low dose and using their opiates as prescribed and come to harms, including increased pain or even uh, overdose, fatal or non-fatal. But certainly the prescription opiates are, are fueling the um, face of um, uh, opiate misuse in this country and uh, in a, certainly in the rural sector of most parts of Australia uh, when people are in trouble with opiates uh, almost always it will be prescription opiates as against or, or over-the-counter codeine opiates rather than heroin. I wanted to ask you Simon what do you see as the biggest problem with uh, use of opiates by the individual? I think the biggest problem is that they're, hard, they're easy to start and they're hard to stop so, for example, there's been some recent stuff that's come out from the American Centers for Disease Control showing that people, if you give people a script of seven days of opiates, about 6% will be still using the opiates at one year. If it's one month's opiates, it's going to be 13%. And if it's over one month, it's 29%. For the initial script, first time for chronic non-cancer pain. So you can see how hard it is to stop. And that's and that's why we're seeing more and more people there just popping back to their pharmacies and more and more codeine. Um, but I think once people are 
having trouble stopping. The, the part of the problem is that then they get increasing pain. And we see levels of pain and distress that wouldn't have never have been seen in the pre-opiates days. But then, of course, you get other problems like uh, hormonal changes and respiratory depression so that um, people can uh, slow their breathing down. Right when they sleep, they can have sleep apnea or central sleep uh, obstruction as well. And so we are seeing harms, deaths, pain, and uh, an inability to stop the loss of control. I think the thing that surprise users the most are the fact that we know that they're not effective in terms of pain control. They actually act as anxiolytics and euphorians rather than analgesics. And that they induce a kind of hyperalgesic state where people are in more pain than they were before they started taking the opiate. I asked Simon what he thought the barriers were for GPs in encouraging the use of non-pharmacological strategies. I think there's an inertia with uh, opiate prescribed for chronic lung cancer pain. There's a cultural assumption that when people come in, uh, they just want their problem fixed. Simple as that. They want a quick fix. They've been on it. Every other doctor's given it to them for the last 10 years, and when they don't have their opiates, they are in trouble. So, of course, it, it would be quite confronting for someone to say, you know, this is not the right way to go. And for a GP, uh, what usually happens when people ask for painkillers, it's usually not the first problem people present with. And they, these uh, people with chronic pain have often got other comorbidities, either mental or physical, and they usually present about the other issues first, and then it's about the fourth or fifth problem. They say, and how about the pain script? And that's about the time we're trying to wind it up because we've got six other people waiting in the But way. the answer is not to just give them the script, is it? unfortunately. Well, the answer is we need to buy some time because if we if we guard, if we're just providing a quick fix, then we're uh, no different to uh, somebody hawking opiates on the street. Uh, what we need to do is say, we want, we're really interested in their problem of their pain. We're, we're really happy to invest some time to give detailed attention to all the different complex aspects of their problem. Associate Professor Toby Newton-John is a clinical psychologist and academic at the University of Technology in Sydney. His area of academic interest is chronic pain management and he's been involved in the delivery of clinical care to patients suffering from chronic pain for some years. I asked Toby just exactly what aspects of the experience of chronic pain the non-pharmacological strategies targeted. There are the kind of activity reductions that, that you know, movement-related pain contribute to, so people reduce their activity and therefore there's a deconditioning effect. Uh, often there are some very unhelpful beliefs um, and understandings of people's pain, and I think somebody mentioned earlier on that um, psychoeducation is a really big part of uh, the pain management process, um, which I agree absolutely. The, it's kind of uh, something that's a bit uh, overlooked often, but we're, you know, we often see people have had lots and lots of treatment um, lots and lots of investigation, lots and lots of multiple uh, manual therapies and so on over long periods of time. And none of those things, um, in many cases, have resolved the pain. So there's a kind of um, almost a learned helplessness that can come up with, with yet another thing that's not going to work. So we see a kind of combination of physical deterioration, of emotional deterioration, and then often very importantly side effects related to people's medication. And that's where uh, the excessive suffering and the pain-related disability, um, which are the kind of topics of, of the pain management or the non-pharmaceutical management of pain, come in. I also asked Toby to tell us about some of the key strategies. So the psychoeducational component 
is um, principally around um, some fundamental education, things like the difference between acute and chronic pain. Um, as Jan mentioned earlier on, sometimes people's understanding of those terms um, are not as we understand them. But it's more than that. It's also orientating the patient to the purpose of, of managing pain with these approaches, which is, as, as we've already shown, relates about uh, improving function and quality of life rather than trying to decrease symptoms. Often the problem patients find themselves in is that they're making every effort to decrease symptoms and in doing that they shrink their quality of life to a very, very small, you know, like the bedroom or the sitting room kind of uh, dimension. Making all their efforts to avoid pain leads to a very impoverished life. So part of the psychoeducation idea is to help patients understand that Pain management here is not about having less pain necessarily. It's about having a being able to do more with the with the pain that you have, and having some skills to manage the pain when it when it flares, which inevitably will do. The treatment goal setting component is again a pretty important thing up front, because pain management strategies are not an end in themselves. They are techniques that enable people to improve their quality of life in their personal context. There's no set goal that everybody should achieve. People have individual lives and individual values and individual experience and qualities. And so goal setting is a very individualized thing so that the patient has an understanding that if they're going to engage in this treatment, um, they're going to have to uh, do some work, but it's in the service of them improving their quality of life. Then some of these specific uh, techniques um, are the sort of mainstay of cognitive behavioral therapies. So activity pacing are techniques to um, help patients regulate um, their, their um, engagement in walking, sitting, standing, driving, whatever it happens to be, so that one, they don't overdo things and flare their pain up, but two, that they can slowly over time increase the amount that they do. The arousal techniques, pain tends to make us tense, pain tends to make us anxious, pain, pain can make us irritable, and so having techniques to calm oneself, and there's lots of different ways of doing that, from mindfulness techniques to progressive muscle relaxation to um, straightforward breathing to help patients get some control over their um, elevated arousal. Cognitive therapy methods about using one's thinking patterns in an adaptive, helpful way rather than in a counterproductive, catastrophic, often undermining kind of way. Flare management, everyone who has pain has a flare-up at some point. It's, a, it's part and parcel of the, of the condition and learning how to manage flare-ups with the minimum amount of disruption is a key part. And then there's additional things like communicating with one's family, with one's partner, with one's work colleagues and so on are pretty important too. Sleep hygiene comes across all chronic pain management because it, sleep is such, a, such an important aspect of managing pain and often so um, interfered with by the pain. But sitting under all of this is the idea that um, the patient to some extent needs to accept that these are strategies that they need to take on board themselves. Pain management is not something that's done to somebody. It's a, it's a series of strategies the person applies to themselves. And um, having a degree of acceptance is something that doesn't necessarily have to be, in my experience, 100% um, at the outset, um, but there needs to be enough to get the person going and applying the techniques. So, in summary, non-pharmacological pain management involves psychoeducation and goal setting, increasing physical activity, moving away from catastrophic thinking about pain, learning to expect and how to manage flare-ups, learning how to manage relationship difficulties, learning how to manage sleep, 
and accepting the role that the patients themselves need to play in the management of their own pain. To find out how pain management programs are delivered online, I spoke to Dr. Regina Schultz. Regina is a clinical and neuropsychologist who was part of the team that developed the Reboot chronic pain management program that's available as part of the This Way Up suite of programs. I asked Regina what Reboot is all about. So we developed this automated clinician-guided pain management program that's delivered over the internet. It consists of eight educational lessons, a personalised graded exercise plan with videos, downloadable meditations and a variety of other resources that I'll talk about in a minute to help patients learn these very specific pain management, self-management techniques so that they can actually manage their, their pain um, in their own homes. Reboot follows the progress of a chronic pain patient called Martha. Other characters also appear in the program including Martha's GP, her physiotherapist and her psychologist. I asked Regina to give us a feel for what happens to Martha as she moves through the program. See, this is Martha's GP and he is the dominant figure in the first two lessons and he goes through that kind of foundational educational information that we need about what is chronic pain and how it's different from acute pain. And lesson three is when we move in and see uh, Martha visit Paul, the physiotherapist, and they talk about movement and pacing and activity scheduling. Then in the next few lessons, um, Martha visits the clinical psychologist, Dr. Walker, and they go through thoughts and recognizing unhelpful thinking patterns, mood and pain and managing arousal. Um, as Toby mentioned, stress management and getting better sleep. Then we look at communication and relationships. And then last of all, managing flare-ups because it is likely that people will be managing those and they need to have very clear expectations about them. So in addition to the lessons, we also have a downloadable lesson summary, which is a 10 to 15 page document, which has lots of more detailed information and explanation of the key concepts in the program. And it also has practical activities that they can do at home or at work or wherever so they can actually start to use these new techniques in their real life. Regina also told me about the Mobility Station, a physical exercise program that accompanies Reboot. It includes demonstration videos and can be personalised to meet the user's needs. Patients need a referral from a clinician to access the This Way Up Reboot program and it costs just under $60 to enrol. There's another online chronic pain management program and that one is available free of charge and without referral. It comes from Macquarie University's MindSpot Virtual Clinic. That program is based on the same principles, but includes guidance from one of the MindSpot clinicians throughout the use of the program. All that leaves us with some thinking to do about how we can incorporate these resources into our practices. If you'd like to know more about these programs and see some of the content for yourself, you can access the recording of that webinar from the MPRAC page of the Black Dog Institute website.